today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. believe that the one mind that Peter speaks about is that each of us focused on Jesus, each of us willing to go out of our own ways, our own ways, go out of our own pride and walk together with Jesus as the director and as the driver with our lives pleasing him. I believe that's what he means by that one mind. And now here's a little bulletin alert for you. If you've got uh, the little bumper sticker or if you've got the uh, poster or if you've got the t-shirt that says God is my co-pilot, you've got to do one of two things. Either get rid of that totally or scratch out that co-part. In 1 Peter chapter 3, the apostle encourages the church to be of one mind. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that the way to accomplish one mind in a body of believers is for everyone to have singular focus on Christ. As the church sets its eyes on Jesus, God steers the ship and directs the path. The Lord also empowers His people to put the needs of others first. As God's people live sacrificial, selfless lives, the unity that Peter speaks about becomes apparent in the body of Christ. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, all together now, from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. I've got to tell you, I've got to put my man card on the line. I've got to confess to you, I'm not a big sports guy, okay? I'm just throwing that right out there. I'm not a big sports guy. I like watching it every once in a while, but I'm not that much into it. But there is a few things that I do know about sports. In a football team, you can have a great quarterback, but if the rest of the team isn't playing together, if they're not working together as a unit, that one good quarterback isn't going to be able to do a thing. He may be able to score occasionally, but he needs some good guards. He needs some other defense going on for him. On a basketball team, you could have a great forward. I mean, you could have a guy that could shoot, a center that's that's just all the time, man, he's nailing the baskets. But again, if he doesn't have a team that's working with him, there's no way he's going to be able to win any kind of a championship all by himself. You go to a soccer team, and I have no clue what the players on a soccer team are called, okay? But I know that one guy can't do that, okay? One guy cannot do it. And I've seen some incredible soccer kicks and uh, plays, but one guy cannot do that. It's called for a team effort in that. That's why they call it team sports, okay? You and I together as the body of Christ are called into a team effort. It's a family effort. And throughout the word of God, it speaks about, yes, our personal responsibility as individuals, but it also continues to talk about the fact that we're drawn together as the body of Christ to work together hand in hand. And as Peter is going to share with us this morning, with one mind, with one mind, 
We're in First Peter this morning as we're continuing on in our study. We're in chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 8. If you've got your Bibles with, us, with you, and you can follow along with me as I read. In First Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers and be tender-hearted. Be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter begins this section out by simply saying, finally, be of one mind. Now you got to realize here is Peter saying finally, and he's still got like two and a half chapters yet to go. Okay. He's like in the middle of his book and he says, finally, well, I don't think it's kind of like uh, preachers of today when they look up at the clock, they've got five minutes to go on their message and they say finally, or in conclusion, and then they keep going for another 20 or 25 minutes. I don't think that's where Peter is headed here. I believe that what's going on in Peter's mind is he's kind of bringing all together the things that he's said already about the body of the about the body of Christ and about our position and our situations and about our mindset within the body of Christ and in essence I believe that what Peter is calling us to here is this idea finally with this whole idea of submission that we've been speaking about the best way to do that and maintain that is if you would all be of one mind. So it's not finally that I'm closing, but it's finally in drawing back to mind the things that he's just said. Now, we've gone through this uh, over a period of uh, weeks, even months, but you need to understand that as Peter is writing this, this is all one letter together. But do you see how it all fits together as we bring the situation of the servants and of the husbands and of the wives and the rest of the body of Christ coming together? Now, be of one mind. It's a certain kind of oneness, and actually I believe that Peter is speaking about a type of oneness throughout this whole letter. And now here he targets a particular audience, whereas before he had spoke to the servants, before he had spoke to the wives and to the husbands. Here he says, finally, how many of you? All of you. The audience is all of you. This is an altogether now call that he's making with absolutely no exclusions. We're called together in that team effort, in that family effort. And it began really way back in, in chapter 1, verse 22, where he started speaking about it. In verse 22 of chapter 1, Peter writes that since you've purified your souls in obtaining the truth through the Spirit in sincere love for the brethren... Love one another fervently with a pure heart. So again, he's calling for us as the body of Christ to have that kind of a relationship together. It's an attitude of oneness. He continues to share this as he moves on through these calls of submission. It's a oneness of submitted hearts. And all of it's focused on Jesus. We have the same focus within our own lives. 
when we walk in that kind of a focus, and only when we walk in that kind of a focus, can we then keep our flesh from getting in the way. Because our flesh so often tries to get in the way. But if our focus is Christ, we can then begin to move together in a harmony on that journey that we've been calling Pilgrim's Process. Because every one of us are pilgrims in process. Finally, all of you be of one mind. Well, what about this idea of being of one mind? How do we really get to be of one mind? Well, I'm glad you asked that question and I've got the answer for you. I think that we can all be of one mind fairly simply. I believe that if all of you would forget about everything that you desire, all of the plans and the future purposes that you've designed, forget about doing anything that pleases you and simply focus on what I want, then we could all move in one mind, right? <laughs> and that, that sounds pretty simple to me. And if you're willing to do that, then we'll never have any arguments, will we? Because you're always trying to do what I want. We'll be of one mind. Now, you might have a different idea. I won't say it's a better idea. I'll just say it's a different idea. You might think that all of us need to change our attitudes and follow after you. You think, well, that would work for me. Just simply focus on what I want. And if we were all willing to do that again, there'd be no arguments. We'd just continue to move on. But let me tell you something. The second part of that scenario, I guarantee you, it'll never happen. And my guess is, is probably the first part of the scenario will never happen on your end. And it probably never should. It never should. So what is Peter speaking about here? I believe that the one mind that Peter speaks about is that each of us focused on Jesus, each of us willing to go out of our own ways, our own ways, go out of our own pride and walk together with Jesus as the director and as the driver with our lives pleasing him. I believe that's what he means by that one mind. And now here's a little bulletin alert for you. If you've got uh, the little bumper stick or if you've got the uh, poster or if you've got the t-shirt that says God is my co-pilot, you've got to do one of two things. Either get rid of that totally or scratch out that co-part. He has to be your pilot. He needs to be your pilot. If he's not your pilot, then you are in dire straits. You're in a world of trouble. He has to be your director. He has to be your leader. He has to be the one in control of your life, not taking directions or commands from you. Does that make sense to you? We need to live our lives pleasing to him. And I believe that that's the same idea that the Apostle Paul speaks about, the same idea he had in mind when he wrote to the church in Philippi. In the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, Paul writes these things. He says, therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort in love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
Paul goes on, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And he, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, if Christ is our example, and if we are to live our lives according to that example, then that means that you and I ought to have great humility within our lives. That means that you and I ought to see, again, man, it's not about me. It's about the Lord being glorified, and I do that by me stepping down a number of notches. Some of us need to step down a few more notches than some of the rest of you. But we need to step down those notches to, again, walk in humility. And again, even, as Paul says, esteeming others, looking out for the interest of others, guarding that. Paul has the same idea and thought when he writes to the church there in Rome, as he writes in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, he says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another and according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, there's a humility And that kind of thinking, that is not of this world. It's not of this world. That is kingdom thinking. And that's where you and I ought to be in our lives. Then we look back at Peter there in 1 Peter. And along with being of one mind, Peter tells the church that we also need to have compassion for one another. Have compassion Not just on the ones that we feel comfortable about having compassion on. No, he says we need to be having that compassion with this idea of on all people, having compassion. How very important it is for us to be willing to go out of our own comfort zones, to be willing to give of our own time, our talents, and our treasures in compassion for the needs of others. Gang, above all other people, the church ought to have compassion More than anyone else, the world ought to see within the church and within the body of believers a compassionate heart for the hurt of the world that's all around us. And beloved, there are multitude millions and millions that are hurting. And we, above all people, ought to be those that are demonstrating that compassionate heart, the very heart of Christ. But true compassion, it's not just when you see somebody hurting. It's also when we see someone failing. How easy it is for us to see somebody failing. And we as, as believers, we, some, we see someone failing in their Christian walk. And suddenly we begin to point a self-righteous finger. We begin to say these self-righteous things about, again, you know, you're failing in this. You're failing this. But why don't you be like me? Why don't you get your act together like me? Rather than having compassion on those that are failing in their walk, we become condemning in that. We see somebody who's struggling in an area that we think we have the victory in. And again, the Apostle Paul speaks about this when he speaks in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. He says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, 
You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He has the same thought in mind when he gets to the book of Romans. As he's writing in Romans chapter 15 verse 1, he says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. So where does this put this self-righteousness, this, this, this level of, uh, again, uh, separation of those who feel that they're mature in the Lord and how they respond to those that are struggling in their walk in the Lord? I believe that blows that completely out of the boat. I believe that what the Word of God tells us is that we all, together, we are in this journey together. We are in a team play. We are in a family situation. And as a family, we look at those that are struggling, that that are having issues in their life, and rather than separating ourselves from them, the Word actually says, no, we're to draw ourselves close to them. The word to be the encouragers, the word to be the ones that uh, help uh, uh, strengthen those feeble knees and to lift up those hands that have been dropped down. They might not be able to lift their hands in worship because of all that they're going through. How about one or two of us getting on either side and lifting hands for them? Being those kind of people that have compassion. Yeah, even on those that are failing. Even on those that are failing. James Again, that New Testament writer that reminds us that faith without works is dead. Well, James tells us in chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, he says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You see, it's all throughout the New Testament. Not this righteousness that exalts us, but a maturity of faith that allows us to be able to reach out to those that are around us that are struggling in areas. How desperately the church needs compassion, both for the hurting world as well as for the failing believers. And as much as you might think we do, we don't know the other man's journey, do we? We, we can stand back and we say, oh, you know, you're falling, you're getting into sin, and suddenly again, we begin to separate ourselves. And rather than taking the time and taking the effort, taking the, having the compassion to find out what kind of a journey is that individual in, what's going on in their life? It's a lot easier just to step back, isn't it? But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to come in. We're called to, again, lift up, to bear one another's burdens, to help out, to, again, Come together with that one. And as, again, as we look at this, how much we need to have that kind of compassion. And beloved, that's a kingdom heart. That is a kingdom heart that's being displayed both in the church as well as outside. Peter continues on as he writes what, what I believe to be actually the, the standard equipment that we all ought to come equipped with. He comes and he says that the church, we are also to love as brothers, to love as brothers. And I think he means this idea of a, a large and loving family being caring and being concerned for the welfare of each other. And I know that within a large family, there's going to come times of conflict. There's going to come times of struggle. If you've grown up in a family where there's more than one child, you know that as brothers and sisters, there's conflicts and there's struggles. But you know what? At the end of the day, 
you better remember that you're family and that you draw together. You draw together. There needs to be that relationship among family that draws us back together as soon as possible. If we go through conflicts, okay, let's deal with the conflict and move forward. But let's not do it in a separating way. Let's do it in an honest way before each other, speaking the truth in love with care and concern, but then drawing back together as a family in support of each other. And again, I believe that this thought is a continuation of Peter's thoughts all the way back from chapter 1 when he declares that we, being led by the Holy Spirit, need to have that sincere love for the brethren. A sincere love, not a fake love, not a not a mouthed love, not a love that's from the distance, but it's a love that, again, gets involved in each other's lives. And I want to tell you this right now. When you get involved in lives, it's messy, okay? It's messy. You just got to understand that and you got to move forward in that. If you think that you can really be a, a true believer and completely obedient to the word of God in your life and not get yourself messed up in some areas, not get involved in people's lives, not be stretched in, again, your comfort zones, not, again, so giving and, and, and submitting your time, your talents, your treasures. If you think that you can really walk in Christ and that not happen, somebody fed you a line long ago. That's untrue. Being a believer is messy. Being a obedient believer will cost you something because we're part of a family together. With compassion and with love, Peter also adds this attribute. He, he, he says we need to be tender hearted. All of these things working together. This particular Greek word, it's, it's only used here and in Ephesians 4.32 and, and Paul uses it in the same idea, the same kind of a context of being tender hearted. But it's interesting, the, the Greek word translated is, is actually like our, our spleen or our bowels or our intestines. In, in, in the Middle Eastern culture, that was the center of emotion, okay? You you would go to your wife and and say, I love you with all of my bowels. Sometimes that doesn't that that just doesn't quite fit in our culture, does it? As a matter of fact, if if you've got the King James version, you've probably seen that quite a bit. Uh, Paul, when he writes in the book of Philemon, he writes to Philemon about the uh, the slave that had run away by the name of Onesimus, and he was going to send Onesimus back to him. And Paul writes to Philemon, and in the King James version, he writes this in verse seven. He says, "For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother." Maybe he brought Pepto-Bismol to the meeting. I don't know. You know, little Malox or something. I'm not sure how that goes. A little bit later, when he speaks about sending Onesimus back, he writes, he says, uh, Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him. That is mine own bowels. What Peter is speaking about when he says tender-hearted, it in essence just means having this same idea of compassion, but having sympathy. And, and even pity, not a, not a pity that stands off away from somebody, but a pity that really cares and is concerned about people's lives. The unfortunate thing in, in my life as a Christian, not just as a pastor, but even as a Christian, I've seen some who profess themselves to be believers, and yet their heart is as hard as stone and as cold as ice. 
Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor David Landry's verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter here on The Open Word. We are glad we're able to bring you these teachings straight from God's Word, but we're even more glad you chose to spend time with us today. We love hearing from our listeners, so please give us a call if you have a moment. Our phone number here is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Let us know, too, how we can be praying for you. Are you a part of a local church? Joining and actively getting involved in a local body of believers is a great way to grow in your faith. It's a place where you can learn about the power and love of the Savior and ask questions among other imperfect seeking people. You'll find support in times of need and be able to offer help to others in your own unique way. If you have yet to find a local church in your area, we'd encourage you to start looking today. And if you're in the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has a special invitation for you. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning, as well as Wednesday evening and Saturday evening at 6.30. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. Join us next time for another edition of The Open Word.